Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we examine a turning point in Nehemiah's story, as up until this point, they've been focusing on rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. As the work has now come to completion, he, along with the entire community, now refocus their attention on obeying God's word and reaffirming God's covenant with them. Thanks for joining us today as we look at Nehemiah's dedication to the Word of God in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Yesterday I met uh, with a friend of mine and he came over because he was going to help me to tune up the tractor. My dad has a beautiful uh, Kubota and it's just the perfect size for what you need to do around property. It's not it's not too big to you know tear up the fields like some of these guys have and it's not so small that it only mows your lawn. Uh, but it does however need routine maintenance and uh, I was driving it uh, a couple months back and sure enough it rolled over on the 800 hour mark and that little service light comes on the dash and I don't know if you're like me but when the service light comes on I gotta fix it to get that light off. It's gonna drive me nuts otherwise. And so uh, having this been the first time since I've been back to do a, a full maintenance job, um, I looked in the manual and sure enough, under the 800 hour mark, it's got every single possible checklist that there is that, I mean, everything from the clutch assembly to transmission fluid, oil, everything, everything. And so I thought, you know what, uh, if Doug came by, he might be able to give me a hand. Uh, now, you'd think if we were two smart fellas, we would have stuck by the manual. <clears throat> but of course, you know how it goes. Don't pretend like you wouldn't do this either. I know what to do. Let me get in there and loosen this here and tighten that there and swap this out there. And, uh, we thought we were doing pretty good, um, but we spent the last 20 minutes trying to get it started. Um, <laughs> happened when we changed out the fuel filter and kind of let the, the fuel line drain and we think that's what the problem was. It's fixed. Don't, don't worry now. The tractor's running. It's all fixed. But I mean, there were a few moments where we could have done better. Um, if we had read the manual, if we followed the manual, you know, it said that there were two oil plugs. I didn't know there were two. We only pulled one and then ended up having to go back and do the second one. And when we pulled the um, hydraulic fluid filter off, it spilled fluid everywhere because we didn't follow the manual. If, if we were smart, we would have looked and we would have seen uh, that what was given to us was a manual that showed not only what ought to be done, but how to do it. You, you started to flip through the back pages and sure enough, it had a heading on every step with pictures and big circles. This is what you're to do. It not only told us what we ought to do, told us how to do it. The manual would have been good to follow because it taught us what we ought to do and how to do it. You've been given a manual. All of us have been given a manual. It's one for years in which the church as a, as a global entity has not had access to. It, it hasn't always been in the language of those who follow after Jesus of Nazareth. Not so today. You've got a manual. I know you've got one. If you don't have one, take the one in the back of the pew home with you today. It's written in your language. And it tells you not only what you ought to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. It tells you how to do it. We're going to get to a point this morning in the book of Nehemiah where we see a shift. For the last 
uh, seven, eight chapters, we've read as to how the walls were going to be erected, right? And how the work that God put on the heart of Nehemiah was going to get accomplished no matter what opposition came his way. We've seen a lot of helpful conclusions as to how we ought to operate both with faith in this world to undertake that which God would give us and in service of our community, knowing that we can't do it alone. And we've seen that modeled for us uh, through Nehemiah's actions, through Nehemiah's leadership. Uh, This morning we come to a place where uh, Nehemiah now makes a shift in the story. And it's one that's essential for the health of the community. You might recall even last week we saw as how he stopped the work because if there had been people that were taking abuse of one another, exploiting one another, what good is it to build up the walls if the people inside the building are just taking advantage of each other? And the opposition that comes, he know, we know that we saw that he prays to the Lord for strength and that he continues to serve by faith. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me now to Nehemiah chapter 8 and we're going to walk through Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah... Uh, 9 and Nehemiah 10, just in a few places. We won't have time to read through all three chapters, but I'm entitling this message uh, Nehemiah for the Covenant of the Community. Because what happens is that in this great transition in the story, you now have the manual from God showing up. It's not a secondary thought. It's not something that comes in after the fact. It's the first thing that they do. We're going to look at four key observations from this text in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10. And then really what happens to be one single application for us to try to live by. So I invite you to turn there with me, Nehemiah 8. Page 761 in the the Pew Bibles if you're looking at one of those. We actually have to pick up the story just at the end of chapter 7. Here's what he says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man. In the square before the water gate, they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him and on his right stood Mathathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbanana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and they responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of God, making it clear and giving them meaning so that the people could understand 
what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drink. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. All right, that was all on the first day. Pretty amazing story, right? But before I stop too far in it, let's pick up and now look at the second day. All right, so continue with me in verse 13. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns. And in Jerusalem, go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, shade trees, and make booths, just as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs. In their courtyards, in the court of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and by the one, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company had returned from exile, built booths, and they lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. And then we kind of have a concluding um, picture here at the end of. Chapter 8, verse 18, day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. Look with me to chapter 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and all the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were, and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs were the Levites. And you have the list of their names here. Following after this, you have what is before them, a recounting. Starting from uh, the end here in verse 5 all the way to the end of chapter 9. And I ask you to turn to the end of chapter 9. What you will find written out here is the account of God's miraculous providence. It was the same thing that Rosanna was telling the children of this morning. This is God's promise. And it starts with creation and it travels all the way to the exact moment. Where now the people have returned from exile. They tell the whole story of what God has been doing. And then look at the very end here in verse 38 of chapter 9. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. This is the idea of covenant. Putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, our priests are affixing their seals to it. 
Into chapter 10 now, you get that covenant. So again, it lists out all of the leaders and all of the priests and all of the Levites' names. Look with me down in chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring people for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives, all their sons and daughters, who are able to understand, all these now join their brothers and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, the regulations, the decrees of the Lord, our Lord. Verse 30, what word does it start with? We. Does that sound like a pledge? Doesn't that sound like a promise? We. If you look into verse 31, you'll see it there as well. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or sell grain on the Sabbath, we. If you jump down to verse 32, what's it start with? 34. 35. All right, you can see that the rest here of chapter 10 is the covenant. It's now the pledge that they make, having now heard and understood what God's law says. We, we know what God has said to us. And we recounted it. That was chapter 9. That's the whole story. In chapter 10, they say, because of this, we're going to make a pledge. We're going to make a pledge to do exactly what God has said. And we're going to follow through with it. It's a great moment in the story of Nehemiah. And from now up until this point, we have been looking at how the wall was kind of the main goal. But you know something? It was never the goal all along. The goal behind God's work in Nehemiah's heart to rebuild that which has been broken down was not for the sake of the walls or the gates or the doors. It was for the sake of the people of God. That now as they had a place to gather, now as they had resurrected those walls as God's visible protection, His calling of His covenant to His people, now was the moment, now was the time for them to get their hearts centered on God's will and God's plan. You, you might notice Nehemiah doesn't play center stage anymore in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Instead, somebody else does. Did you catch his name? He's got, he's, got a, he's got a book that comes in your Bible just before this. His name is Ezra. Ezra was the priest and the scribe. That meant not only was he the one who was familiar with the ritual and the tradition of God's law, the Levitical law and the sacrificial law, but he was also the one who wrote down and recorded God's words. Not as a prophet, but as a scribe. So who are they going to call? Well, let's call Ezra. And the people come and they gather, not on the first day, not on the second day. Do you remember what it said? From the first day till the last day. It's an awesome story. And in it today is a lesson for us. A lesson for us that we must understand there's far more that goes into being followers of God than just cleaning the vinyl siding of the church, vacuuming the floors, building a new place for our children. That the real priority for the people of God is a recentering of our hearts towards obedience. Can you say that? Say obedience. obedience. Towards obedience of His law. So a few things I want to share with you. Number one is this. The first key that we see in these three chapters is a commitment to the Word of God. It's the first thing that they did. They didn't start on, oh, it's convenient, or they didn't take a day off. They didn't have a big festival. Day one, they got out God's Word. Day one. I'm thankful for this tradition. I'm thankful that we see it woven through the words of the Bible, that we worship God on what day of the week? 
first day. Welcome to a new week, church. It's Sunday. You, you got a whole seven days in front of you. And you know how we're going to start? We're going to start by giving attention to God's word. A commitment to God's word. Not only that, but I want you to see, go back to chapter 8, uh, right in verse 1. All of the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. Who was it that told Ezra to bring out the book? Who was it? It was the people. You see how cool that is? It, was, it wasn't the leader. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't the pastor. It was the people. They were the ones that called Ezra to go get the book of the law and read it. They were the ones who had the commitment to it. I want you to see in verse 5 the reverence that they had. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he's standing on a platform. And it says, as he opened it, what did the people do? They all stood up. Um, in the tradition that I grew up in, going to Our Savior's Lutheran in Iron Mountain, uh, there'd be three readings, and the, the, the pastor, he would come and he'd read out of the gospel. And the, the organ would do a little tweedly dee and everybody would stand and and then he would read it and then everybody would say this is the word of the lord and the organ would do another tweedly dee and we all sit down and i remember that was just kind of the tradition that we had i didn't know why we did that but if i read nehemiah i think i get the idea it has to do with reverence it has to do with a recognition that this is not words of man this is the word of god and so all the people they stand for it because they have a commitment to the word of God. I also want you to see something here that, you know, we kind of struggle with in our culture. Look at verse 3. He read it aloud from 9.30 till 10.05. Is that what your Bible says? <laughs> he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. My, my Bible doesn't say, and everybody got ornery and tired and left. and It doesn't say that. Why? Because the people's commitment is where? The commitment is to the Word of God. It's not only here, but go jump to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 3. We've got verse 3 of chapter 8, verse 3 of chapter 9. Look at this. They stood where they were, and they read the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for what? They're doing it again for a quarter of the day. Why? Because their commitment is to the Word of God. Now, I want you to understand that there's a difference between uh, description and prescription. Uh, I don't believe what we're seeing here is a, a prescribed um, necessity that this... So from now on, Grace Presbyterian Church, <laughs> hope you weren't planning to watch the game because I will be reading the Old Testament. Here we go. Uh, I, I don't believe that's what he's doing. He's not prescribing that. But I think what he is doing rather is he's describing the heart of the people. I think it's possible for a comp we can accomplish that in 30 minutes. We can accomplish that in 45 minutes. We can accomplish that in 15 minutes. It doesn't, it's really not a question of the matter of time. It's a question of a matter of commitment. Are we committed to God's word or not? And I want you to see that that's the description that we find through Nehemiah. That's the pattern of how they came to prioritize in their life the hope of obedience was seen through a commitment to God's word. All right, that's the first key. Here's the second. Comprehension and understanding. The second key for these four or these three chapters is this 
uh, dedication to comprehension and understanding. Look in verse 2. It says that uh, before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. This is really giving reference to their children. So both men and women. And then they didn't, they didn't bring uh, the little ones down here. <laughs> that when you ask a question, they might give you a funny answer, right? Because they just don't quite understand. They're, they're mostly there, but they don't quite get it. But then there's some older kids who do. So any that were able to understand, guess where they were? They are in the assembly. This is the pattern that I, this is, again, the description of what I'd like to see our church follow, which we do. We send our kids downstairs because they understand it better in a different setting than the, the proclamation of God's word. But when your kids get old enough, keep them in church with you. Keep them right next to you. Let them see you with your Bible open, following along. And they'll begin to pattern their own dedication to God's word after they see how you, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, are following a commitment to God's word. But I want you to, I want you to see how understanding here is the priority. Uh, verse 3, it says that they listened how? The very end. And all the people listened <laughs> they're all they're all listening carefully. They're they're paying attention. They got their, as my teachers say, they got their ears on. Because they want to understand. Look at verse 8, because this is fantastic. Verse 8, they read from the book of the law, making it clear. That's the work of the preacher. My, my job is not to entertain. My job is also not to make you feel spiritual. That's not my job. My job is to explain the text. That's my job. Such that you will understand. I, I have a great difficulty that, in that in preaching because this tends to be a one-directional conversation. At times I try to get a little feedback, but this is why I love Bible study on Wednesdays and on Mondays. Because if you don't quite follow, if something didn't add up, if you heard this here, but this over here is not, you can do what? Right? You, we, we can interact with that. Because the goal behind scripture reading is comprehension. It's understanding. And so here they're making it clear and they're giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. I want you to look down in verse 12. If you're in the habit of underlining or circling, this is the verse to circle. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. So you see their action. Before, when they were hearing the word of God, they were weeping. They were weeping because that's what God's Word does. By His Spirit, it hits you right to your heart. Uh, it, it convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, just like the Holy Spirit's work in us does this. And he does it through the union of the reading of God's Word, and so they were cut to the quick. They, they were wounded in their heart. But yet they, the, the Levites and Ezra said, don't, don't grieve. This is a good day. In, instead, I want you to go and eat. And have, verse 10 says, sweet drinks. So... I know we've been on dieting, but, you know, that, have a regular Coke, maybe, instead of a diet Coke, right? I mean, <laughs> I enjoy, right? Ha have something good. This is a celebration now. And I want you to give to people who don't have enough. And that's what we see happening in verse 12. But we have a really important word. It says, because. Does everybody see that word in verse 12? Do all these things. They went and they did all these things. Why did they do them? Because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. When we comprehend God's word. When we understand what it says. You really have one of two options. Obey it. Or disobey it. Those are your options. 
You will never be able to follow after God's plan for your life if you don't understand God's plan. And so this is why Ezra, this is why the Levites, this is why the people there made the priority understanding. It wasn't formality. It wasn't in Latin. It wasn't in some language that they didn't understand. They gave them the clear meaning because when they understood it, they obeyed it. So the second key is comprehension and understanding. The third key is community, unity, and care. So focusing on the community and all those who are in the assembly. I want you to see, you probably would miss this. This is why I want to explain it. But normally when God's word was read, it was read in the temple. Is that where they're meeting? Go back and look in verse 1. Where do they meet? They assemble in the square. Before the water gate. Now why would that be interesting? That they would choose to gather in a place that's a little bit different from where God's word normally was read in the scrolls. And the reason was because you had some regulations that would prevent a certain number of the people from ever encountering God's word. And so they could have. They could have done it like they've always done it. But they said, you know what? Let's go out where everybody can gather. Where the men and the women can gather. Because they focused on unity. I want you to see also how they focused on unity. In verse 1, it says that they assembled how? My Bible says as one man. What's that mean? doesn't mean like one dude. It means like all as one in mind. All as one in purpose. We're all gathering together. You know one reason? There's a lot of reasons why I love our church. One of the reasons why I really love our church. Could you just... Take your elbow real quick and just hit the person next to you. Even if you don't know him, just do this. Look at this. I love that. I love that we're all kind of here together. It's just the best. When, when I uh, was growing up, uh, we, we had pews like this. It was similar, but there was a little bit more space, and I always wanted my elbow room, right? And then when it was kind of come time to sing, um, I would always lower my voice because I didn't want the people in front of me to hear me singing, so I kind of... Hey, not a Grace Presbyterian, folks. You lift your voice. Hit your, put your arm around your neighbor, right? Because we are gathered as, as one. We're gathered as one. There's a, there is a commitment here to community unity and, and also to community care. I want you to see in chapter 8, verse uh, 10, 10 and 12, as we've already read, it says that as they're not to grieve, they're supposed to go and eat and, and have sweet drink. But they're also, in verse 10, to send some to those who have nothing prepared. Has that ever been you? Oh, I was supposed to bring something this morning? Oh, my goodness. That was this morning? You, honey, you put that on the calendar. How come nobody told It's your fault. Have you ever been there? Right? Well, that's okay. Because guess what happens in a community? It's okay if you don't have. We have more than enough. And we share with one another. And that's what you see happening down in verse 12. See? They send portions of food to those who needed it. Because they cared about their community. They gave to those. They gave to those who needed it. On the second day in verse 13, look what it says. The heads of all the families. It doesn't say just the heads of those who were in leadership. Not just the heads of those who were members. It's the heads of all the families. They all came together on the second day. And again devoted themselves to God's word. Community, unity, and care is a key. Alright, the fourth key that I want to share with you is covenant keeping and conviction in action. Covenant keeping 
and conviction in action. As we're, if you're still in chapter 8, verse 13, as they're gathering around and Ezra is once again reading, it says in verse 14, they found written in the law that the Israelites were supposed to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Booths. It's the feast of booths. They would build these makeshift little kind of lean-to structures and they would stay in them. For the purpose of remembering God, obedience to God in command to do this. And so guess what? When they heard that, well, that, you know, that's what, that was back then, right? That's what they used to do. We don't do that anymore, right? I got a king-size bed, air conditioning, right? Why am I going to give up my... What'd they do? They heard the word and then they obeyed it. They had a conviction to put their faith into action. Put it into practice. You'll see this in chapter 9 too. Fast forward a little bit back to chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. So in chapter 9, verse in verse 1 and 2, it's where they're coming together and it's all the Israelites now are going to draw away from the foreigners because they're going to recognize that Israel was supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be the ones that made the gospel known to all nations. To spread this understanding of, of the true living God, but they didn't. And in their disobedience, they were drawn into captivity. So look what they do in verse 3 of chapter 9. They stood where they were. They read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. They spent another quarter in what? In confession. Back in verse 2, look up one verse. It says, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and what? confess their sins. You see, they recognize that now that I've heard it, I see how we've abused God's word, how we have failed to honor him as God. This is what we ought to have been doing. And this is how we should have been doing it. And we weren't doing either of those. And so they confess their sins. They have a conviction in their hearts and they follow through with it. The last place I want you to see is as we've already read through it. I've, and I didn't, you know, just for sake of time, you, you go home and read this. But in chapter 10, they begin to make these pledges. Because of what God's done for us, we're going to honor the covenant. God made a promise with us, and we're going to honor our side of it. We're going to uphold it. In chapter 10, look at what they say in verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take daughters for our sons. Verse 31, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or sell, have grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on Sabbath or any other holy day. And we, we could go on from here. We could go on and I hope that you do and you read how now that they know what God says, they want to reaffirm their covenant, their pledge to him to do it. I want to give a, a quick plug here for Curcio. Uh, it, it's coming up in February. And for any one of us that have gone through it, men or women, you know from your experience that it is a time of rededication. It, it can be for you a time. Of seeing once again the importance of getting your life right with God. Not just to come to church, but to begin to participate in church. I'd like to offer that to those who have not had the opportunity to do it. That it's very much like what's happening here. It's a short weekend where you encounter, again, hearing God's promises. Hearing what God has set forth for his people. And a challenge that we would follow in obedience to it. That's what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 10. The people are keeping the covenant. And then they have a conviction that they're putting into action. All right, so what do we do with this? 
I've got one primary idea. Here it is. It all begins with God's word. It all begins with God's word. It doesn't begin with coming to church even. There, there are people who can come to church for years and still not open this word. Still not read their Bible. You'd be like me and Doug trying to change the transmission oil and making a big mess everywhere. You know, there was a right way that we should have done it. And it even showed us how we were supposed to do it. And you know what? Now that we read the manual, we kind of know now how to do it. Because we read it. And so guess what? Our behaviors will change. Our action will change the next time uh, the check engine light comes on. But it all begins with God's word. And so I have some questions that I, I'd like you, I want to challenge you to answer these, all right? Just uh, see if you can scribble down an answer on a scrap of paper at the back of your sermon notes there. Number one is this, how often do you read God's Word? In your life, how often do you read God's Word? I'm not even going to press you towards study. I'm simply going to ask, does it have a place in your day? Uh, I've got a I got a Bible sitting in the door of my truck. Uh, I've got a Bible sitting on my desk at home. I've got a Bible on my smartphone device. I'm certain that you have versions of God's words strewn throughout your possessions in your your home as well. How often? How often do you read it? Second question is this: When you read it, what percentage do you understand? I could ask for an amen. Is, is God's word confusing sometimes? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and, and there are those who have uh, put forth the time and research and energy, those who have been trained to understand it. Many of these people have written books. They've written commentaries. Uh, many of them are right here sitting next to you right now. Not that they've written commentaries, but they understand God's word. What do you do when you don't understand? This is what I teach my kids. What do you do when you don't understand? You raise your hand. And you ask. It's as simple as that. Uh, I am so thankful to all those who are faithfully coming out to Bible study on Wednesdays and on Mondays. There's a few folks who are here before I show up. And they're consistently here. And we have some really good Bible studies. Um, sometimes I don't even come prepared. The Holy Spirit just leads us to a place where I'm learning as much as anybody else is learning. There are some people who have never been to a Bible study. And I hope that you're learning. I hope you're listening to some of these preachers on the radio, but that you understand what you read. We want that percentage to always be moving this direction. So that when you read God's word, you begin to understand it. And I'll just simply confess to you today, there's passages that I've read that I read now, and I'm like, I've read this like a hundred times, and I'm just now understanding what it means. Because we're always going to be in a process of increasing our comprehension, our understanding. It's not just a matter of reading. It's a matter of understanding what we read. Lastly, I want to ask you this question. Of what you understand, how much do you obey? It won't do you any good to read God's Word and understand it. You, you know something? The devil knows God's Word. He knows it enough to combat Jesus when they're in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. By quoting from God's word. He knows it. He probably even has a pretty good understanding of what it means. Does the devil obey God's word? 
I want you to hear what I have to say on this. If you read it, and if you understand it, but you don't obey it, you're at the same level as the devil. I know what it means, but I don't put it into practice in my life. James, a pastor in the New Testament, he, he writes for us, uh, anybody who looks into the perfect law of God and turns away forgetting is like a man who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like. Because the word of God is like a mirror reflecting back to us what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. And yet there is one point that I have to stress as we conclude this message this morning. And it actually came uh, from Glenn. Uh, He read it out of John's Gospel. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 5. And as we wrap this up, and as you seek to answer these questions in your life, recognizing that it all begins with God's Word, we would do error if we would not understand who is God's Word. There was a problem in Jesus' day. The problem was there was a bunch of people who thought they were righteous. They thought that they had their lives all together. They studied God's word. John chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father has given me to finish and that which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice nor seen his form. Nor does his word dwell in you. Oh, hold on a minute, Jesus. I read the word all the time. What do you mean his word doesn't dwell? I could tell you you exactly what it means. In fact, there was a scribal uh, legend that said that some of these guys, they knew it so well that you could take a rolled up scroll and stick like a nail through it. And they knew it so well, they could tell you every letter that that nail would intersect as it passed through. That's that's how much they would brag about their ability to know God's word. And here's Jesus saying, his word doesn't dwell in you? What? Look at verse, at the end of verse 38. It doesn't dwell in you, for you don't believe in the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures. Because you think that by them... You possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so here's the single application I want to give you this morning, church. Come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. When you turn your life over to him, he gives you his spirit to indwell you. And the indwelling of the Spirit, do you know what it'll do? It'll help you understand. The Holy Spirit is called our guide and our teacher, our comforter and our counselor. What you don't understand, He will help you. And He will bring somebody to help you through the Spirit's leading in their life. When you come to Jesus, you're given the Spirit. Not only does He help you understand, but He'll help you to obey. It's in Romans chapter 8. You could choose between the flesh or the Spirit, but the Spirit will lead you to obedience. Nehemiah leads us now to this great shift in the story, and it's one that we must pay attention to. For it prioritizes a commitment to God's Word, a concern and a care for the community. It has at the forefront a priority of understanding and comprehension. And the people live out their faith, and it all starts with God's Word.